today's reading is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Thanks, Taz. We have been in a series, The Best is Yet to Come. And this week we're considering what it means to give God our best. You might remember in our last series, we, we took some time looking at uh, giving to God in faith. And in that time, we specifically looked at uh, giving through our time, through our money, our possessions, our relationships. Whereas this week, having heard the scripture uh, that we're up to in Malachi, there's there's no corner to hide in here. We, we can't sort of try and edge our way around the issue uh, through this scripture, we are looking at what it means to give God our best when it comes to our finances. And I'll say straight out, I love a bargain. Uh, I love a bargain. Have you, um, have you ever met one of those people? Maybe you're one of those people yourself. Maybe, maybe you're reformed from being one of these people. That you go, yeah, this, this was me once upon a time. Uh, that as soon as you bring up the topic of money with them, you can actually just watch as their wallet jumps out of their pocket and runs down the street. <laughs> Have you met one of those people? Um, and as much as I joke about that, crazily enough, that when the topic of money comes up in the church, that sometimes that is just the exact thing that helps people jump out of their seat. And walk down the street and decide, you know what, if you're going to talk about that, I'm not coming back. But when we start with the scriptures and we start with what God says, sometimes we have to. We don't have a choice. As Christians, we must be people of the word. We're not meant to cherry pick scriptures and go, you know what, this is the thing I want to talk about. And I'm going to bring these scriptures in. And we're also not meant to come along and go, oh, that one's a bit hard. I'm just going to jump over that this time. Uh, We're meant to be as faithful to God in his word as he is to us in our lives. I understand money struggles. I really do. I'm currently boycotting every store that I can't afford stuff in. It's just not sustainable. uh, I'll be honest, I'm not a money manager. If you, need, if you need a pastor to be you know, true to his word and make sure he's telling the truth, you just listen to the responses of his wife when he says, I'm not a money manager. Uh, I, I have gotten better, but that's what 
marriage does for you, okay? Uh, I really had no, no money to my name. I didn't account for my money very well, and that's why you need to marry really well. <laughs> I joke, but that's the truth of it. Uh, money's not an expert field for me. Before we go any further, let me just pray um, about this. God... Uh, some of us are good with money, some of us aren't. But Lord, we, we turn to you with this scripture. And God, we, we, we look to what you advise, what you say. Lord, that we would take our leave. Lord, even if we are good with money, God, that we would come before you in humility and say, God, we're going to follow your way in all things. Lord, we're going to follow your way in these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Money, I think, is uh, always a frustrating thing for kids. Okay? My personal opinion. I can remember uh, my grandma, who lived in Melbourne, um, organising to take us, us kids. We came down to visit and she took us to the Melbourne show. It was so exciting. Never been to the Melbourne show. And, you know, we got a limit of three things that we could, we could get, like, two show bags and one ride or three rides, you know, like, she just, there you go. And you know what? That's super cool and awesome as a kid. But still, once you're there and you see all the stuff, you're like, can we have four, like, three things? Like, I want more. It's just not quite enough. Oh, I, I remember, you know, with the limited amount of pocket money that we'd have, like going to the corner shop and, you know, it's not quite the way it is now because there'll be all these different tubs and there'll be, well, I can remember one particular shop, one cent things and, and three cent things and ten cent things and you're just like, how can I get the most I can for my pocket money while getting the yummiest things as well? Like we want to maximise what we've got with our money. I, uh, I'll be honest, I can remember one stage as a kid uh, taking mum's purse. Uh, I remember 50 cents is what I had for pocket money at this particular age. And I remember getting mum's purse and stealing $2 from it. Figured out my story that I could tell if I found, it, found some more money on the street as I was going down to the corner shop. Busted. Mum obviously took a well account of her, the money in her purse. I got cold to account. I was in trouble. Not so good. Now, I realised I did this uh, because I had made... We, we, we were not a wealthy family, so, you know, 50 cents was okay. But I had mates at school who would get five bucks for pocket money each week or $10. There was one, one family who, you know, they, they did pretty good. He got 20 bucks a week for pocket money. And I'm just like, 50 cents? Like, like I, can, I can get a dim sim from the, the, the canteen at school for that. Oh. But you know what? I didn't need any more pocket money. And the crazy thing was, I only got to that point because I was too busy looking at what I didn't have to appreciate what I did have. I got greedy. And uh, the funny thing is that as we get older, this problem doesn't go away. It stays the same. 
No matter our age, right, the only way this problem ever changes is a transformation of our heart. Our incomes, they get bigger. So do our toys. The things that we can use our money for, they get bigger, more extravagant. So we're actually constantly still wrestling with this, like, I don't have enough. And then when we have more, I still don't have enough. How many of us could receive a million dollar check and to say, you know what, I've got all I need. I don't need this and give it back. No, I don't, I don't think no matter how well off or not well off you are, you, you, I think we'd always go, oh, I could use that for something. I can still remember one day feeling challenged by God when I was young uh, um, about giving. So I told him that I would, I, would, I would start tithing the little I had once my pocket money got more. When, when it went from $5 to $10, I'll give you my tithe. But lo and behold, it didn't happen. Uh, and it didn't happen for a very long time. It doesn't matter how much we have. It's about the condition of our heart, how willing we are. We want to wring the cloth dry of every sense. We will chase a, a bargain. We will barter for something even if we're willing and happy to pay the original price. I, uh, I saw a sign the other day. It said watch for children. And I thought, you know what, that sounds like a pretty good trade. That's the way our minds are ingrained. We're all of a sudden our minds are focused on the money. It's a cultural thing that we find ourselves in. And Christ calls us to be counter-cultural. We actually exist in a society where money is just about everything. Where every aspect, just about every aspect of our lives features money, is about money. For some people, relationships, and I just I joked before, so I'm not saying it's true for me, but for some people, relationships is about money. Is that person worth having a relationship with? It's ingrained in so many parts of our lives and our society. I think a perfect uh, illustration of how this looks is you'll find all across our country as housing estates go up, as the streets are made, these, these carbon copy houses are, are popped up and, and they, they get bought one by one. They, 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 just, they get taken off the market, they get bought. And within 10 years, all of a sudden, you see another thing that's popping up across these, these estates, which are for sale signs. And, you know, these houses have, they, they have everything that you could possibly need and you know what, we can afford that, so let's go for it. But you know, sometimes what we can afford and what we should afford isn't the same thing. And you discover that, that a whole lot of these, these families, especially young families who, who've, you know, they've got the kids and they want, they want the kids to have everything. And then they, they struggle with the financial pressure. And time goes on and slowly, slowly, all these houses go up for sale and are sold. Money. It causes real problems. First Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
So how does God try to lead us with our finances? Let's consider the words that he gives to the Israelites who were not being faithful to God with their giving. He says to them, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So just for a bit here, I just want to have us pause and consider the principles, the underlying principles that are, that are here from these scriptures that God gives about giving across all the scriptures, okay? The Hebrews, they had a number of different titles for God um, early on, particular titles that they used to recognise God with slightly different names uh, that recognised some of the base uh, base natures of God and how they interacted with him. So one of them is Jehovah Jireh, which you would know maybe as God our provider. So that was one of the significant aspects of God and who they referred to him as, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. That he would provide in the little, he would provide in the big. That what they had didn't come because of their own work, but it came because of God and their relationship with him as their provider. So when we're in need, we we should turn to God, our provider. Now, the Israelites, the Israelites, they came out of Egypt. And as they came into the wilderness out of Egypt, they had to be taught a lesson of who God was around provision. And so God would come and bring manna to them daily. Every morning they they were to send people out to collect enough of what they needed to survive for that day. No more, just enough for what they needed. And if they were to go out and collect this manna for them to eat and to survive on and get greedy and collect more than what they needed, then that extra... What they didn't eat, what they ended up saving for the next day would go stale, go useless, not worth eating. And so God encouraged this reminder of him as their provider that every single day they had to come back and rely on him. Now tithing, tithing as a principle, it's about giving back 10% to God, 10% of what we have to God. Genesis 15, Abram gives 10% to God through the high priest Melchizedek. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see this tithing principle repeated over and over again. And this word tithing, as a verb, it's, it's used as a continuous word. So that we are to continually come back to God and tithe. There is a few occasions where tithing is used as a one-off verb and that's used as uh, like free will offerings and, and to help people in, uh, who are poor, who are in need, that sometimes we're encouraged to give a tithe to those. But usually it's used as a continuous uh, offering for us to bring. 
the earliest example of God uh, give, uh, of people giving to God in the Bible is in Genesis four. Cain and Abel brought offerings back to God. Now Cain, Cain brought some of his offerings to God. It says, Abel, on the other hand. Great, I didn't want to make sure I had the names mixed up. Abel, it says, though, brought fat portions from some of his firstborn of his flock. And if you read Genesis 4, you know that God looked favourably on Abel for bringing the best of what he's got. Not just some of what he's got. This principle is repeated through the Old Testament and we understand it as the first fruits uh, principle, which we can learn from Abel, where as we give our best and not from our leftovers. I remember when I was young, we would do the weekly errands sometimes with mum, especially on school holidays. And uh, as a part of the errands and off to the supermarket and do the shopping, we'd always go off to, to, the, uh, to the bank first and she would take out the money for the week. And at the very start when she did that, the money would come out and she would take what our, our uh, family's offering was and put it in the back of her purse. Now, I'm not telling you this so that you know where to get that money when she's here next. Um, and she did that so that at the very start, taking from all that we had, all that we had received, she would take that first portion for God. She would put it in there. And so then there was no accidental, oh, you know, spending stuff. Oh, I need to buy something. Oh, we spent some of what we had for God. It was a degree of, you know what, I'm going to do this first for God because he is the best and he deserves the best and I'm going to set it aside for him. First fruits principle that guarantees we are giving God the best of what we've got. Cain gave, but Abel gave the best of what he had. And as Malachi tells us, When we don't give God the best, we are robbing him. Now, Matthew 23, Jesus remonstrates the teachers of the law for not upholding the tithing. So he remonstrates with the teachers of the law, not because they've stopped tithing. Okay, that's not. But because they have forsaken things like charity, faithfulness, uh, generosity, Justice, mercy. And he actually says to them, you should have practiced those qualities without neglecting tithe. Okay, you've upheld this one thing over here and you've forgotten this thing. And so Jesus says to them, you know what? You have done so well with this, but I want you to be doing it at all. And so while... while uh, Sometimes we sort of do it in reverse. We look at mercy and faithfulness and, and, uh, and justice and, and these things. But do we also advocate and push for those while upholding the tithe as well? Do we fall out of whack with that balance? Now, um, you might not know, but I think there's a really interesting space in Christian theology around giving. 
Um, as I was as doing some reading in preparation for today, um, I came across an organisation which I, I quite enjoy for, for reading things and, and generally find if I'm reading something from this organisation, it, it, it should sit relatively in line with, with my theology. Uh, so it's a group called the Gospel Coalition. Uh, it's a global thing and, and they release all sorts of, of things online that you can read about and what I found really interesting when, when I was doing some Googling, I came up with two links from the same site, from the Gospel Coalition, and, and the links clearly presented very different views. And so I clicked them and I read into it. And what was really interesting, they decided, you know what, on the same day, at the same time, we're going to, we're going to have two theologians who have prepared these, these articles and we're going to get them from different views and we're going to post them at the same time. Which I thought was really interesting because a lot of the time with theology we think we've got to think this way and this is the way it's got to be. And, and I found it really good because uh, for someone who hasn't gone deep into theology when it comes to giving and tithes and offerings, I'm giving you a bit of a brief overview here of some of the scriptures, but um, for someone who hasn't gone deep into the theology, I found it really uh, a really helpful thing to read these, these two point of views. I couldn't poke holes in either of them. So the two point of views. One was uh, tithing is a relevant uh, principle for the New Testament Christian and it should be upheld today. And the other one was tithing is not a relevant principle for New Testament Christians to uphold today. So it was really interesting. I, I, I really enjoyed it. What I found really interesting though was that the conclusions and where they finished were relatively the same place. One of those things, both writers that came to for Christians and when it comes to giving, that an essential aspect is, whichever way you want to sit with those two opposing thoughts, is generosity. And generosity for whichever, wherever you want to sit is to be a mark of a Christian when it comes to their giving. One of them said, we are led to do both tithes, so continue tithes, but offerings as well. And so, so there's, there's a, a, a starting point, but give out of generosity and overflow and more. Whereas the other one in, in his theology uh, debate and, and writing said, you know what, we're not called to be restricted or obliged by a tithe, but to be willing to be generous and to give constantly out of our overflow. And they actually both came to the conclusion that, that if people are going, oh, this 10% mark, they both ended up concluding, you know what, if we are to be generous, we're probably looking at more. That might be a, might be a challenge for you this morning. Two of the strongest points I find Jesus makes in, uh, in the Gospels uh, in the parable of talents and the widow's offering, the parable of the talents, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a landowner and he is going to go away and so he gives different amounts to three different people. And those people go and do some things with them. And when he comes back, he rewards two of them because they have put what he's given them to good use. They've, uh, they've, they've put them into sowing and doing some good work of what, what their owner would want them to do. And so they are given more because of their faithfulness to the landowner. 
The, the third one, though, in fear of well, what, what happens, like what will happen if he returns and I lose this money off, I don't put it to good. So he just buries it in the ground. Uh, and so when the landowner returns, he gives it back. And he gets remonstrated with for not being faithful, for not being willing to put his money to work. Through this, we're encouraged to put what we've got as God, as our provider, to work for him. He's given it to us. The one who gave it to us first so that we would see benefit for what he's given. Now, the second one was the widow's offering. Jesus commends the widow for her offering while the rich people all around her in the temple are coming and making a big scene and they're dumping in all this money and she comes in and just puts her two coins. But this is what Jesus says. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. There's a person who reflects that she knows God as her Jehovah Jireh, her provider. She gave out of her poverty. So wherever you stand when it comes to this on the theological spectrum, maybe for you, you don't care about the theological spectrum. You're just sitting where you want to sit with this. I warn you, it's not a good spot if you don't want to go to God with it. Um, When it comes to giving... And you do your, whether you've done your in-depth research, whether you haven't, God and God, through Jesus, encourages us to do these three things. Use what God has given for God. What he's given you isn't just for yourself. Use what God has given you for God. Be generous. And godly giving is a matter of heart. So the first one, no matter what you do for work, if you work, if you don't work, no matter how much or how, much, how little you have, how do you put to use what God has given you? If you separate it out, what you do have, into the different spaces it goes. How much of a portion do you dedicate for God? Second point. Do you put your own constraints on how much to give God? Or are you prepared to loosen the reins a little bit and let God lead you so that there would be an overflow of generosity through what you give, And also, therefore, through what God gives you. How can we expect God to be generous to us if we're not willing to take that generosity and share it with others? The third point. We've asked this question before. What does your giving say about your state of heart? What does your giving say about your faith? Giving isn't meant to be an obligation, but rather an act of thankfulness, an acknowledgement of who your 
your finances come from originally? Are you willing to give in recognition that God, who we can trust, who we can rely on, that you know what, no matter how much I do decide to give, no matter how big a portion I decide to give to God, he's got me. I believe I'm going to put my faith where my mouth is and I believe he will look after me. No matter how great a gift I am willing to give to him because he will back me up all the way. God, our provider. I want to encourage you. God wants us to be inspired when it comes to our giving. Instead of dividing up our portions and considering how much we can afford to give Or perhaps considering this is how much I need and so I'll give this much to God. God inspires us to to be challenged. And he says these words towards the end of our passage. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you would not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruits, um, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed and for your will will be, delighted, uh, will be a delightful land. Your land will be a delightful land. I believe I'm missing a word there, says the Lord Almighty. How is that for a challenge? How is that for inspiration that God says, you know what, put me to the test. I know elsewhere in scripture God says, don't test the Lord. And that's a warning with a completely different context. But God says, you know what, you want to you test my generosity? You want to see if I would provide for you? Bring it on. Come on, let's see where your faith is. I'm not talking about a one-off when it comes to being generous back to God. Okay, because that's not what God calls for. He calls for a generous heart. And a heart, if you care about something, if you're really in it, it's not a one-off. It's a continuous thing, as we have looked at already. Are you willing to test God by your, uh, by your giving? See if he will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you would not have enough room for it. Imagine what it would be like if you did receive that check for $1 million and you could say, you know what, I have nothing better to use this for than to give it elsewhere. I have all that I need. God has been generous in my life. I don't need that check. How great would that be? Oh, God invites us into that space Test me and I will be generous back to you. I want to tell you a story about a guy that some of you might know, uh, which I was really uh, challenged and inspired by um, at, some, at, one, at one point. You might know this guy, Rick Warren. Anyone know who this guy is? A few hands. So, so Rick Warren, uh, senior pastor of Saddleback Church in America. It's a huge church. In 2017, they averaged 22,000 people 
attending their services on a, on a Sunday morning. Each week. Huge church. Of course, though, that doesn't happen overnight. And that's not where he started. And for a long time, he never shared with people about his giving and how he approached God with that. And uh, a few years back, he, he was asked, and, and so he shared. And, and so he shared about he and his wife, Kay, that when they first got married, they made a commitment. And I, this is their commitment. This is not a commitment I'm putting on you. This is their personal commitment to God. And their commitment was, you know what, God, we're, we're going to give you a tithe, and we're, go, we're going to commit to be generous to you as you've been generous to us. And so their commitment was, you know what, every single year we're going to give God more. And so after their first year of marriage, uh, they, they, they sat down and they decided, okay, we're going to give God 11%. And then another year, and they did 12%, another year 13%. You know, and, and at some of the years they, they had pretty productive years and successful years, or if they, they had a raise at some stage in that year, then they might raise it a couple of percent. And so not, not just doing sort of the, the, the little. Then they would have years where, where things didn't go so well. They had some real setbacks and difficulties. And so they would raise their, their giving to God by a quarter of a percent. Or so, you know, just a, a margin, a fraction. But their commitment to God was to give God more, to be generous every single year. In 2012... Now, they've kept this, you know, they kept this quiet for, for 20, 20 odd years, you know. It's, it wasn't for, for other people to be inspired or, or, or to be challenged to be like them, but, but, but this was their personal thing. And, and as of 2012, they were giving 91% of their income to God. 9% they were living on. Now, of course. Rick Warren, is, is, he's huge. He's released uh, so many books you couldn't count, has been uh, you know, in charge of this huge church, and so they had the means to do this. Okay, That's why I'm saying don't feel challenged to be like, I'm putting this commitment on you. This is just a part of their story. And so people would challenge him, go, yeah, but Rick, you've, you've written all these books and you've been such a successful person. Of course God would challenge you in this way. Of course God would lead you in this way. Of course you could be generous in this way. But Rick's answer is God knew what they would do with the money. And we think to ourselves, oh, well, like if I had a pay packet like that guy, oh, the money I would give. Well, in his opinion, no, we wouldn't. Because whenever we get more, there's always more that we want. In fact... He, he believes, you know what, because he was faithful in the little, because when they didn't have these funds, because when they had uh, so little, in 20 years of living in relative poverty as a minister, they were still faithful to God in their giving in those 20 years of poverty. If we would be faithful with the little that we've got, we know in the parable of talents that God will come and give us more. But if we wouldn't be faithful in the little, God says, and how, how can he trust us to be faithful in the lot? So the, our challenge isn't for the 91%, but the challenge is for us to give our best 
to God in our poverty right where we are now. So I want to encourage you, be inspired by the challenge that he puts forward. Test me and I will open the floodgates and bless you. Bring your tithes, your offerings, whatever your commitments that God has come to you with and give your best to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for your your grace, Lord. Lord, that you wouldn't have us sit in the same place forever. Lord, that in your grace that you would speak to us in our insufficiency, in our, in our falling short, Lord, in the, even in the spaces where we might find ourselves robbing you, God, that you would be willing to come and speak to us. Lord, that you know us so dearly that you would come and speak to us. God, I thank you for your promise. Lord, that you would call us out. Lord, of the things of this world that we've grown into. Lord, where we might be tight-fisted with our finances. And God, we thank you for the promise that you would lead us to greater places. Lord, to healthy commitments in our heart to what we want to dedicate to you. Lord, that we would see ourselves striving to bring you the best, God. But God, thank you that you promise to be generous to us. You don't just give us this this challenge and leave us on our own. But you've already poured generosity into our lives. Lord, you have already given us Jesus. Lord, thank you that you have already shown us generosity, Lord, so that we would know the truth and the promise that you give, that you will continue to be generous as we are generous to you as well. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray.